Hello and welcome to the Patel Podcast. My name is Gigi, and today we have Dan Doty with us. Dan is co-founder, or was co-founder of Everyman, a global community of men who come together to challenge and assist one another in personal growth. And most recently, he founded Fatherhood Unlocked, a platform with resources, tools, and programs to unlock dad, dads for the benefits of their children and the world. So, a big welcome to you, Dan, um, and great to have you on the podcast. Yeah, hi, nice to be here, and that's uh, it's it's nice to hear in that red against some that that background music. It feels pretty feels pretty <laughs> epic. I know. I was laughing the other day um, with my co-founder. It seems very dramatic. It's got it's got a very dramatic flair to it, <laughs> which I kind of love. And it's one of those I things like that it. gets stuck in my head. Um, yeah, feels like it's out of one of one of the the epics, like Gladiator or or something like that. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so Dan, I, I've, you know, I've heard bits and pieces about your background from, from different podcasts and reading online. And I think you've got such a fascinating, uh, life story. So I'd love to start with who is Dan Doty and you can take that in whichever direction you choose. Yeah, I'll, uh, I'll try to give a, a pretty succinct version. Maybe, um, I think it, you know, I'll just start with the present maybe, um, I live on the coast of Maine, uh, with my wife and my three kids. Uh, we've been here just a couple years. I've been a, a long-term, I'll call it orphan or wanderer, uh, lived all over the place most of my life. And, and, uh, right now I'm in a chapter of really settling, you know, putting roots down and, and camping out for a long time. Uh, yeah. Who am I? I, I grew up in the in the upper reaches of the Midwest in North Dakota and Minnesota, a very rural agricultural sort of lifestyle. Um, I was uh, a sensitive little guy um, and lived in a a culture and a family that was just very, um, you know, insular and not very communicative and and not very expressive in a lot of ways that really weren't many feelings other than just being okay. Uh, and that's that's important to know because that was that that does have a big influence on on my life and my profession and, and what I've done. Um, and just the, what I would specifically note about that is, you know, when I was young, there was this huge gap between how people said they were and how I could feel that they actually were. Right. And so that that sort of really big layer of, I don't know, you know, space or or repression or however you want to think about that um, plays into what, how, what I've done with my life. Um, and so here's the, here's like the, here's the journey. I, um, I got really lucky sort of in my college years and kind of got pulled by the ear to, to fly off to Europe for a bit and just kind of started traveling the world. And my Midwestern uh, worldview just exploded, right? And I just uh, really kind of lucked or stumbled into um, a really expansive and kind of adventurous uh, adulthood from from the get go. I had really great mentors that kind of nudged me and helped me in the right direction. And part of that is my first career. I was a wilderness therapy guide, and so what that meant is I spent I led trips of young men, you know, usually between fourteen and twenty one years of age. 
on therapeutic wilderness trips, right? So it was real substantial uh, wilderness expeditions with the addition of therapy and, you know, programming to, to better, better oneself and better each other. Um, and I just it stumbled into my my calling and my purpose and my best role, right? I just, I, it was, it was the most, and it was young, you know, I found that at a very young age. And um, it's just, I feel grateful that that happened because it, it worked and it's, it's sort of, uh, helped me focus ever since. Um, particularly in that work, I had a, a really meaningful set of experiences with fathers and sons together in the wilderness. And some of those experiences um, truly just like shattered my heart open. And um, just to give a sense, like I saw both the the normality of barriers between kids and their parents and, and how much, you know, some of that space or barriers or inability to fully express or love each other and then i also got moments where those things cracked and fell away and you know fathers would embrace their you know mostly grown sons and just both would just have this outpouring of love and affection and that gives me the chills even saying it right now so many years later and i really do think that that is the heart of the work that i've intended to do since and uh you know so i've a, i've a kind of a wild background to get through all of this. I So I did wilderness work for a long time. I then became an inner city high school teacher in the Bronx for a couple of years and got my master's of education as a part of that. Um, then I had this, this run of adventure TV production where I flew around the world as, as the director and producer of a show called Meat Eater, which is a pretty uh, well-known uh, hunting and adventure and food show. Um, that was a big part of my life, a really big impact on me. And, you know, at that same time, I was basically training and learning to become a men's work facilitator and leader. And, um, you know, it's kind of all came to a head about six plus years ago. My first son was born and um, through a series of events, I launched the company Everyman with some co-founders. And that was just this really seminal moment in my career. Um, so... I could, do you want me to keep going? I'm sorry. I, well, I could just well, keep going I mean, forever, but. I've got so many questions. I, I think, first of all, it, you've had such a fascinating journey. And I think I want to come back in a moment to the wilderness. Um, uh, what did you call them? Wilderness uh, adventures? Therapy. Therapy. Yeah. I, I, I yeah. want to touch on that. But I think the first thing that really struck me was you were speaking about fathers fathers and sons and the sort of barrier between them that sort of you that, that shattered. And I think really where I want to press on is why, what is creating these barriers and what does that look like? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what's creating these barriers? I'll start with what it looks like. Right. Um, I think I'll tell you what it looked like for me personally first. And that was, I had a father who, uh, obviously loved me very deeply and did a lot of so much good, did a lot, right. You know? he was always my biggest fan and always supported literally everything I ever did. Uh, and he treated me with respect and, you know, kindness. Um, but he was hurting, he was hurting substantially. And, and, uh, uh, and I won't share all of the details, but, but, you know, pretty dark ways, right? There, there was a lot of repressed stuff that my dad wasn't, didn't know how to share, didn't know how to, um, uh, communicate and, and didn't have any support with. Right. And so, um, just 
one way that what it looked like in our household was, you know, you can tell if somebody cares about you or not, but when that's not expressed directly, when there's no touch, when there's no uh, saying of I love yous, and there's just this general sort of distance of, of you know, it, it just creates a, a gap of, of understanding and, and um, a lot of unsaid things. So that was just my, my family's version, right? It's different everywhere, but what I've seen collectively is that um, men, and I, this is true for women and non-binary, it's true for everybody, but there's a, there's a flavor from men specifically where um, we literally just have had so few examples of other men mm-hmm. who, who are expressive with their love, with their care, who have, who have the capacity to, um, you know, and I, I think so you ask, why is this? And I, my best guess is that, you know, generationally through the ages, I mean, you, you talk about trauma from wars, trauma from disasters, all of these things just sort of piled on top of each other. And it hasn't been asked of men necessarily. Maybe it has. It doesn't seem like it was asked of men to to be the nurturer, to be the connector, to 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 hold the mm. an equal emotional seat with with his partner. Um, and so you really have just like literally a, a, a generations of of males who kind of go through life with you know, with, with kind of locks around their heart and locks around their, their, their most deepest truth. Um, Completely. Yeah, yeah. And, and do you think that, that that is particularly true with a parent-child relationship? I mean, I think there's so many instances that you're probably so right. It's not just, it's not probably just in the parent-child. It pervades any number of different relationships because that is what societally men have been told that is how you behave. Yeah. Um, but is there any, do you think there are any particular added dynamics or tensions when it comes to either a father, son or father, daughter or mother, son, mother, daughter? Um, and I know that there's always complexities around each of those different combinations, but, you know, in your experience, yeah, what, what was sort of, was there anything particularly tenuous, whether it was, you know, an underlying competition for dominance or, you know, any kind of threads that you could pull out uh, beyond an inability yeah. to express. Yeah. Uh, well, I think the first thing I'd say, then I'll come back and answer that directly, is um, what I'm so lit up by right now in, in focusing on work with fathers is that um, once, uh, once a dad has a child, the percentage chance of his heart blowing up and exploding and uh is really strong <laughs> you know and and so you kind of can't um you kind of can't stop that from happening a lot right and so this sensation and the experience of connection and love may come online maybe for the first time ever or or stronger than ever and so i see fatherhood as like uh, an opening right a doorway that if a man mm. can can ex- and be aware of the experience that's happening to him he can and I think this happens organically to to some extent, right? Fatherhood changes people. Motherhood changes. You know, it, it fu- fundamentally changes us. But I do think that um, it's uh, it's just an incredible opportunity for men to to sort of find refine their humanity and and 
and and allow that to come through and balance them out as individuals, right? Um, yeah. But to answer the question directly, like what what else is is going on there? I mean, um, I mean, I think it's I think it's different for for everyone. I mean, I think it's fair to say that uh, uh, for a lot of dads, it may be easier to just gush love on a baby a baby daughter than a son. Um, but, but I don't know. I mean, I, I've seen a lot of evidence to the contrary as, as well. Um, I, I think another element that, that plays in is the, the real amount of sort of stress, responsibility, uh, lack of time that comes when you become a dad too, right? So, so you know, if you don't have your shit together, in a sense, when you, before you become a dad, and all of a sudden, all your free time goes away, and all the things, and, you know, the fire gets hot, and so um, that can, I think that can definitely play into, you know, the, the patterns of, I don't know, repressing or not being healthy mm -hmm. or evading or, or staying, you know, disconnected. So I mean, it's, there's a lot, yeah. there's a, probably 50 things we could identify here. Super interesting. And before we kind of move more into the fatherhood, you know, your experience, and I've got so many different threads I want to take down there. I'd love to bring it back to that wilderness point. In sort of 2022, I think it's fair to say that a lot of us are very disconnected from nature. And I'd love to just dig into what what were the what was your experience when you kind of really did wild yourself? And yeah. you know, what did that look like? Could you could you kind of give paint a picture of what that actually on a day to day basis looked like and felt like? And what was that journey for you? Yeah, well, I'll, I'll paint. So, so I have several different versions in that time period. But one of my favorite was this program that I ran um, in Minnesota. And it was a uh, an alternative sentence to a, a juvenile detention um, chunk, right? So the kid was getting in trouble with the law. It was sort of the, I mean, this isn't all the way accurate, but it's close enough that they could either be sent to juvie for 60 days or be sent to this wilderness program mm -hmm. with us. Uh, for 21 days, right? And so, um, you know, the first day of the program, we would drive a big van around the state of Minnesota and pick up, you know, go to all these jails, basically, and pick up all these kids and put them in the van and drive as far north in the state as we could and, uh, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> drop, you know. <coughs> I would offer water, but <laughs> 2022, yeah, we're still remote. <laughs> So oh, wow. we'd, okay. yeah, we, we'd pick up these kids and, um, and then we'd start a 21 day program. And it was just the most, it was based around an outward bound model and it was run by just good humans, right? With just good mm -hmm. hearts and good intentions. And they hired good people. It was just this beautiful sort of beacon of humanity, you know, in the, in the uh, adjudicated system. And so, you know, we would do, um, we would start with like a five day, we'd call it a training trek. So we'd hike uh, in the falls, in the summer, we'd paddle these 400 pound, ex, uh, what did we call them? Expedition canoes or these just big, wild, heavy wooden canoes. In the winter, we would cross country ski, pulling sleds behind us and, and camping on lakes. Uh, so we'd go year round and, you know, we'd do like a five or six day trek. We'd come back, uh, the kids would do a one night solo in the woods, and then we'd go on our big like two week expedition. Um, 
And, and that was, those were just, you know, incredible. So that would be a full 13, 14 days on the trail. Um, and then we'd come back and they'd do a, like a three or four day solo to finish the whole program. And all along the way, you know, we would do morning circles and evening circles and have just, you know, little lessons about compassion and connection and communication and these things. And, uh, you know, a typical day on the expedition is, you know, we'd get up and build a fire and make some oatmeal and, you know, check in and then, you know, hike our butts off for 10, 12 miles and eat some lunch on the way and get in and cut down a tree and chop it up and <laughs> burn it and make dinner and do a circle and go to bed, <laughs> just do it over and over and over. And, um, you know, what it was, how it impacted me was a, a myriad of ways, but, you know, I did it for so long and got enough time out there that it just completely like it pickled me. Right. It, it just, it just like yeah. that much time in nature, um, wires the nervous system in a way that, uh, you're really in sync. Right. You know, like, so for years and still is to this day, like when it gets dark out, I'm like, my, if I, if I can't, if it's not logic, logically, <laughs> logistically possible to go to sleep, I have to fight. Right. Like, like my body's kind of in sync. You're, you're geared uh, to, yeah. You yeah. rise with the sun, go down yeah. with the sun. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, the last thing I'll say was the much later in my life, I started meditating and it was really remarkable to, uh, the first time I actually did a guided meditation in, in the lineage that I practice, um, it really broke me open because it brought me to the same place, um, that, and so I practice a type of, uh, somatic meditation. So using the body, really being inhabiting the body and, the first, and I, it was at a moment I was living in New York City, kind of broken down, having a having a bit of a, a hard time. And um, so, what I'm, I guess, what I'm trying to say here is that I, I later found a practice uh, that I could do anywhere in the world, you know, in the middle of the city, that would bring me back to a sense of presence and body that the that being in nature did, right? And so, I think just to pull out of that, what what that time outside does on a really subtle but powerful level is truly just bring you home to yourself to your body to your to your basic state of being and why do you think that is is, is it because i mean i know that there's a lot of i mean i feel it when i when i am on a hike and i've run out of water there's something deeply primal in okay where is the water like i'm i'm on a mission i'm going to find water and there's something deeply satisfying and calming about that in a really perverse way because i really get you know you're thirsty you want the water but do you think you know what is it kind of bringing us back to almost like is it the survival instinct that's kicking in that centers and sort of calms all the noise or do you think it's more just you know there's so much research on having plants in your apartment for example and i love my my zen is rainforest sounds so birds and monkeys and insects and goodness i remember um i went to i did a, a ski season in colorado and i i phoned my dad and i grew up uh in from south in south africa very with a very outdoor upbringing i mean i was in the african bush almost homeschooled barefoot all the time and i remember calling my dad from colorado and he was you know hi sweetheart how are things going and i just said you know it's so dead here and it was midwinter and there was not an insect there was not a spider or spiders there was just hardly any animals i think i saw one crow and that for me was so it felt very cold i mean it, not just physically cold but emotionally yeah. cold and i 
So, so sorry to take it back. What, what about being in nature, sort of, for you and and maybe for the the boys that you kind of took on these trips? What what sort of sparked that calm? I mean, uh, I, I'll give a couple answers, and <clears throat> one is sort of a, a biophysiological answer, which is that um, our uh, you know human history. And not, not that I don't know if I or anyone has a perfect sort of sense of what human history actually has been or, or is or was, right? But, uh, you know, like there, I think we just really, really easily forget that our lifestyle right now and how we live is 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 an aberration uh, of the norm of, of humanity. And we're not actually different. Uh, the, like the majority of us is pretty much exactly the same as however long ago when we lived in the elements and the, um, you know, the, the, the nervous system, you know, I've kind of studied and learned about it in, in, in different academic ways and, and things, but, uh, my own study of the nervous system in, in nature, um, uh, to me, if you kind of pay attention, if you can pay attention to your heart rate and just, just how you feel and your body as you kind of go through that thawing process of being out in nature, it, I've actually never said this out loud before, but this is how it feels right now, is that it, it feels like the the natural cycle of, uh, of the nervous system of sympathetic, parasympathetic, and just sort of like the activation, deactivation, all those things. It feels like you kind of get like, oh, that's how it's supposed to work, right? It, oh, it's like um, this. It, it feels like you find the 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 organically set uh, cycle of those things. Yeah, and, like the rhythm. And it, yeah, and here was so much stimulation and protection from the elements. I mean, it's just um, it's. I don't want to say unnatural because. But it's just different, right? And I think it's yeah. confusing. It's confusing to us, to our bodies. And since we live in our minds almost all the time, and we don't live in our bodies, um, the simple thing is being outside, just it, it force functions you to pay attention to your body. And the the and this is scientifically backed, the intelligence of our body, the capacity to interact with, communicate with, receive information from the senses as opposed to just sort of our, our, our mind control center is really, um, really, really substantial. And, and I think it's the kind of thing that anybody, anytime anyone I've ever been in the woods with feels that happening, they're like, oh, this is, this is just better. You know, this is, mm, this is, interesting. I, feel, I feel so good. Um, and then I'll add one last layer to it from more of a, a Buddhist perspective, just for a second, which is, um, there's this concept in the in the school of Buddhism I practice, which is, uh, you know, the the natural state or, or or basic human goodness. So it's just this idea that that under, like us humans in our in our essence in our simplest way are 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 good, and we can experience the world as good, and we can experience them, you know. And that doesn't mean that there's not struggle or strife at all, but but there's just this pervading. Um, warmth or uprightness or, or everything. And, and again, that is, that's what emerges as the rest of our mental noise and complication and all of the other chatter falls away. There's just this, there's just this beautiful thing that comes through and it, and it happens mm -hmm. for everybody. It, it's not, it's not just a, a thing. And 
Um, so I've spent a lot of my life working to replicate similar things that brings that out in people that doesn't have to be a 30 day wilderness trip. Yeah, completely. It's basically, how do we, how do we get the benefits of, of connecting with nature, Mm -hmm. but in a way that is more accessible for more people, I guess. And what do you think, especially for children nowadays, especially growing up in cities, less exposure to the outdoors, less exposure to potentially, you know, just being less active in general. What do you think the consequences of that downstream could be or are? I I think we see it all the time. I I think uh, obesity, addiction, depression, anxiety, um, disconnection, loneliness, suicide, all of it, all of it, I, I think mm. it has an immense amount to do with a lot of those things. Um, I, I do really believe that, um, you know, may, maybe we're headed toward a future where, you know, we download ourselves into in, into chips. And, and so maybe that is the way of the future. And this is just something that's going to fall off. But for today's people, in terms of just observing what happens, um, yeah, lack of nature connection, lack of uh, connection with your body, uh, and lack of connection with each other in these very simple, primal, meaningful ways uh, sets us up for just just a, just a, a giant uh, collection of, of maladies. Mm, super interesting. And m- maybe now changing gears, because I'm going to start speaking more and more about children and specifically fatherhood. Mm-hmm. What was your, so you say you've got one son, do you have more than one? You've got three, two three boy, sons. Two, bo- two, two, two boys, boys and, a baby, and a baby girl. Yeah. Oh, amazing. Okay. So with, I, uh, maybe you're starting with your first entry into fatherhood with your son. What was that like? Um, you know, especially in those first couple of weeks. And I think you probably were in by that stage sort of six years ago. So I'm assuming you kind of already by that stage done a lot of this wilderness work, Mm -hmm. a lot of this every man. And and so I think you're in sort of a slightly different position uh, emotionally than a lot of men might be. But what was that journey like for you? Blissful, just utterly blissful. Yeah, it was, uh, um, we lived in Montana and uh, the birth itself was long and a bit complicated, but, you know, just fine in the end. And, uh, you know, I had one of the sort of dramatic moments as a dad, you know, everybody has a, a different sort of timeline and connecting with their with their little one. But mine was immediate. Right. So Duke came out and they put him on Elise's chest and I kind of walked around the 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 bed and and came you know she, he was here on her shoulder and i came over the shoulder and i just kind of i just leaned in and said hey 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 little one like i've been waiting so long to meet you i'm your dad and and then uh, i didn't know that babies had the capacity to do this but he like he like lifted his head and looked me right <laughs> in the eyes and i'm and i just it just you were done it yeah and, um, and i mean there's so much this, so and so I don't I don't have kids and so I don't know that feeling and I've heard so many rec- accounts of just the most sort of well actually this there's two sides to this I think some people connect instantly as you do and then some and specifically I've heard from from women don't connect and there's a huge you know stigma around do I not love my baby when mm. actually it's yeah. a new little 
child that comes out. And I think your experience of sort of in, instant connection so powerful, but what changed for you? What sort of, what in the world or what in your mindset changed? Did anything that, you know, once felt safe feel more scary or just were there any percep- massive perception shifts for you? Yeah. I mean, there were some immediate ones and then there's some that took longer to, to fully bake in or really, really integrate. Right. Um, but the immediate ones were, um, I don't know, first of all, it just felt like a, a lovely permission slip to, um, to simplify things, to, to simplify everything and to focus on, uh, you know, the simple pleasures and simple joys and, and simple needs and, and all of those things. And, you know, the postpartum period for Duke was really, was really pretty incredible. I was able to take a, a, a substantial amount of time off work and we really just, you know, kind of went into the cave and, um, enjoyed it. And, uh, the, it's hard to put words to it, but the other immediate perception shifts were, you know, it's, it, I think it first felt like a panic of sort, but I remember, so, so the baby slept in, in bed with us just for, just for a while. And I remember falling asleep with this like seven pound creature next to me. And, uh, I remember just being completely bewildered by that. Just, just Mm. like, just like all of the, you know, the little things, like what if I roll over and kill him? What if I, uh, you know, the, the attentiveness required, uh, was something that was really foreign to me, you know, in the moment. Wow. And, uh, you know, that was small. And, and I think, you know, um, the other thing that felt pretty real right away was uh, I needed to get my external world um, clarified and dialed in. And actually, so it was complicated. So actually, I hadn't started every man until my son was born. Um, I started it four months after he was born and I lost my, at the time I was in media and had like a big fat paying job. I got fired six weeks after Duke was born. Oh, and, wow. Related and, to, related to the, the birth or paternity leave? No, or? no, related to some other stuff. Um, okay. it was, it was time for me to go anyway, but, but, uh, right then I launched every man. I launched this like dream, wow. this vision and. And it, you know, it was very connected. It, I had a sense that when Duke came, um, that being a dad was not only did I need to be there for him, but I needed to sort of speak my truth and share this thing um, that I had. But it's interesting because over time, so that was kind of like the big gift my first son gave me. The gift my second son gave me was that I was all wrapped up in said business and, and that thing and uh realized that i wasn't actually putting family first right so Mm. kind of a um that was a really big learning curve for me that's really interesting i think it's also super brave starting you know starting a company right when you've got this news as you say seven pound creature who's just dependent like they need you for survival they need you for everything let's let's be more honest it was stupid (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> Depends on what side of history on. I think. I think. Yeah, yeah you, you can claim it was a it was a really brave move, but it is. It's risky. Um, but I, I, that's wonderful. And I think, you know, what what was the biggest? 
what did you want to give Duke and now your second son and your daughter that you, by speaking your truth, what were you doing for them? Well, it really, it really was, you know, and that was the launch of every man and, and every man's mission was to bring, um, skills and tools and, and community and experiences to men that, uh, gave them that ability to, to feel and to express and to, you know, be emotionally alive. Um, and that was the, you know, that was the sort of one of the core wounds for my childhood and the thing that I wanted to bring to the world. And mm. I knew I wanted to bring it for them individually and for my family, but it also felt appropriate to bring it to the world as well. So um, we were talking about what the fatherhood experience can look like for different people. Um, and in your experience with every man, what have you seen on that spectrum in terms of the different versions of what fatherhood is, and especially in those early first few months? Yeah. Um, well, the first thing that strikes me is is how men go into that or how dads go into that. Um, for example, you know, how much time one takes off or does not take off, right? So, and, and some of that is uh, maybe preference and choice. And sometimes you don't have as much choice, right? Depending on your financial situation, your professional situation. But I am of a very strong advocate of really taking as much of that time at home with the family as possible. I think it's, I think it's just, I mean, there's studies and everything, but also just anecdotally. Um, I just think it's absolutely uh, incredibly powerful and important to, to take that time to bond and, and, and do that thing. So I think, you know, yeah. depending on how much of that a dad gets, I think makes a, uh, you know, makes a big difference, right? Cause it, cause it, you can kind of, a dad can just sort of like keep going with his life doing the same thing he was doing before. But now there's just sort of this kid there too, that, that happens. Or, you know, a lot of dads though really do. That's really beautiful. Um, you know, like turn toward fatherhood and turn toward children and, and really, um, choose to, to really show that show up and be there for it all. And, um, you know, and, and I mean, the answer to your question is, is if you get really nitty gritty detail, it's, it's, it is different for, for every dad. Right. I, I think that's, you know, some dads, um, have some experience with kids. Most don't that I've found at mm. least in, in the circles I run. I mean, for me, I don't think I'd held a baby until I was 29 my entire life. Right? Yeah. You know, it's, it's a brand new thing. Um, I think there's a lot of dads who go into hyper productive mode and doing mode or, and, and that's the standard. That's kind of, that's kind of the male standard in general is to be, you know, rational analytical and just do stuff. Like my role is to do my value comes from doing right. So, um, I think, but men in men who are immersed and sort of interested in, in deepening some of these other human parts of themselves, um, I mean, I just see so many men just getting so deeply lit up and fulfilled and, you know, just completely blown open by the experience. Right. And so my mm -hmm. community of folks, um, is leans heavily in that direction. Right. So it's just, a, there's just a lot of dudes in, in these circles that are just, um, 
you know, having the, the most sacred experience of their whole life, basically. Yeah. And I think it's so interesting because I think it's in stark contrast to sometimes what what we see, at least, you know, at Patel, we have, we see a lot of sleepless kids and it's usually the mum who kind of takes the charge of solving the issue and uh, takes charge typically in the process itself. And what's so interesting is I've heard a lot of rhetoric around the sort of dad feeling like a spare part, especially in the early days. And, you know, I think it's tough. There's, you know, women breastfeed typically in the first couple of weeks at least, and sometimes months, the child is far more dependent usually on mum than dad. But it seems like the moment that and please, like, I'd, I'd love, you know, if I'm if I'm off base, I'd love to, I'd love to hear your view. But it seems like there's almost like a pushback, as you say, dad's default into doing mode again because, okay, I'm a spare part in this situation. I don't know what to do. And interestingly, there's a lot of research um, about how, you know, uh, fathers don't typically look f- to other sources to find help. They don't speak to other dads about it as much and maybe that's changing but certainly historically it's been you know being a father is kind of a not really a spoken about topic so they don't get feedback from colleagues they don't get feedback from friends they don't typically ask their parents and they also all these online forums and i think i heard it on that um, podcast that you did with uh, simon isaacs i believe said it so beautifully is all of these parenting websites are just um turquoise and pink and geared towards women typically and it makes parenting a a woman's job and I think there's there's the downside for women in that situation but there's also a real downside for fathers and for men and so what is your kind of experience with people either coming to father fatherhood unlocked or to every man because I think there's a father fatherhood unlocked particularly I'm interested in what is that state that you see and what is common what is the common mentality and challenges that fathers are having so I just want to clarify your question so I make sure I, I answer directly. So what uh, what are the challenges that fathers have in terms of participating with with like the basic nurturing and caregiving? Absolutely, yeah. and I think yeah. and one sort of I'd, I'd love to start there and then sort of expand in terms of being a dad in 2022. Mm-hmm. What is what do you see as the the state where fathers who come for help to you or kind of look to to say how can I deepen this relationship? Mm-hmm. How can I get more involved? What is that blocker that's holding them back? Yeah. Um, so I, I think the challenges stem from, uh, again, having never done any of this stuff before in any sense and have never been identified, have never identified or um, seen that there's value that they bring in these elements of life in the nurturing element in the, in the home element right and and it's it is changing but um i just i can't express how foreign um the elements the visceral human elements of like infanthood are to mm. most men it is just it is just a it's like landing on a planet that makes almost no sense in a lot of ways, right? Um, But I think there's a a secret that tends to change this. And this comes from one of my mentors and a therapist, uh, his name's Jed Diamond, and he's he's written a bunch of books about men and and different things. And um, his advice, which I wholeheartedly agree with and recommend, is for a dad to uh, 
early on in baby's life, take a whole night or as much as you can and just, just be the caregiver for a whole night. Go skin to skin. You know, if mom needs to come in or be there to, to breastfeed or whatever, like, of course. But, um, you know, there really is that, that primal switch gets engaged when the hormonal, you know, uh, event happens between skin to skin contact. And, mm. um, just on a side for a second, I, I think it would be interesting to find any research or do research on this, but I feel like that is the, 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 the ignition point for, for men to be really, um, uh, lean in to lean in and engage in, in all of the nurturing activities. And, um, I think without that, it's because that is a, that is, you know, that is how we bond as humans. It's how we, you know, that unspoken, incredible, flow of, of care and love comes and um, I look at you know men in general and and so, so you know why are we so foreign to that part I just had this vision of generations of dads before us have never having that experience of never making those deep bonds right mm. and, and and so that's it's and this is just sort of like a theory that I'm curious about but it makes sense to me on a on kind of an intuitive level that um, without that sense of closeness and togetherness and part participatory sort of experience, then, you know, fatherhood and kids are just like another thing. Like they're just another mental construct. They're just another thing to deal with. They're another piece of the puzzle. And they're not, you know, men, I, I like to talk about like the family and community as, as like a, uh, a rug or a blanket or something. And, and men are, are, oftentimes threads that are not woven in. They're not woven into the fabric. Um, They're they're somehow separate. And and I think that just makes all of the little, not little, but big elements of care of feeding and sleeping and, you know, all of that. It's just, it it seems other to dads. Yeah. And I think what's also really interesting, I, I think it's a super powerful suggestion because I think what it also does is it it gives responsibility over to the dad. And I think it was really interesting. I was speaking to um, a professor of pediatric uh, sleep, and one of the things she said was really interesting is mums also have to give permission or let dads take over. And I think there's sort of sure. there's, there's two sides to it, and I'm talking about sort of, you know, it might be many forms of families, but one, the primary caregiver needs to be able to also say, hey, listen, like I trust you with my precious baby even though i know this might be foreign to you you taking a whole night by yourself and actually having a dad having that ability to say okay this kid's crying i don't know what to do this is overwhelming but i am responsible i'm not going to just pass pass them back or you know being able to fully take accountability and responsibility i think probably also shifts the dimension of how you you see that child rather than just as sort of as you said another thing another dimension it's it's actually this is a human I'm deeply responsible mm-hmm. for, um, which is really interesting. Um, yeah, I, I think that analogy of, of men being woven, sort of a map being there, but a, a, a men being slightly unwoven, where does that sort of come from? Because I think it's it's very profound um, and paints a very kind of almost like isolating picture. And I guess like where does that, that thought come from and, and what sort of what are the 
what are the things motivating you to say that it does sometimes feel like they are on maybe the periphery or they are just floating threads? Um, I mean, a, a lifetime of, of working deeply and intimately with thousands and thousands of men. Um, and it's, it's true across the board. It's almost, it's rarely not true, at least until a man chooses to, 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 uh, do something different. Right. And, and I think that is, you know, there's sort of like a general thesis, I think, you know, in this conversation is, is that dads and men, um, are, are, you know, there's statistics and studies and everything, right? Like boys are born with just as many emotions and need for friendship and connection as, as any other gender or whatever. And it, it gets trained out of them early. And, and it's just, it's it, the, the simple way of valuing oneself and understanding one in relation to the world um, usually has absolutely nothing to do with connection, love, compassion, um, true feelings and, you know, that, that visceral family element. And I, I think it's, you know, you can't pinpoint one reason, but it's been that way for some time, at least generationally. And today I think there's a, an opportunity for things to change, right? Just because of socioeconomics and the world and just everything. Like there's this new possibility for men and dads to be um, to be a part of the home again, uh, in, in a mm. way, or, but it's not just the home. It's the, um, it's still hard to find the right words for this, but, um, men have a hard time, um, surrendering and getting out of the head and letting the, the normal human connection thing actually just occur and sticking with it and trusting it there's panic around that it doesn't it, it doesn't feel like you know we're supposed to go do these things we're supposed to create you know all this other stuff there's all these messages that are you know holdovers from from a long time ago and some are still propagated today but that brings me back to how i think that fatherhood is a um such a an overwhelmingly beautiful opportunity um, to humanize and to uh, reclaim uh, part of our, our psyches and our, our worlds. Mm. I must say, it's, I find it fascinating because what you say, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have known that. It's almost like I'm, su I'm surprised to hear that. Well, I'm surprised on one level, but then not surprised at all on another level. And I think it's clearly not something that's very real to a lot of men and a lot of fathers, and it's not being talked about enough. <laughs> It's not something that, you know, th there is no discourse about, you know, I think often the discourse around family and children and the work child care burden is, you know, oh, statistically women do X amount more. And it's, it's typically that's the frame of reference in society. And I think it excludes the whole, a whole other very powerful piece, which is this has a very real consequence for the man who's not doing, who's doing a quarter of the housework, not the, not the three quarters. And I think, you know, what can we do, and especially if we then take it back to the younger generation, you know, with, for example, your sons and your daughter, like, what what do you think we can do as a society to make sure that these young people who will be growing up to be mothers and fathers one day really are able to embrace that and are able to, you know, own their, own their whichever, whatever roles they want in a very kind of real and authentic way? 
Yeah, I mean, back to the beginning of the conversation, I, I think giving them opportunities to really connect to uh, their nature, to nature, to each other and themselves, and, and just modeling the tools to them and the ways of being that allows for just basic, simple, you know, mental health, physical health, all of these things of like participating in family life and supporting, like, this is, this is, this is not something external to the human uh, reality. It, it's, it's built in, right? And, and I, I just think uh, it, we don't have to add anything. We just have to um, keep the conditions available for people to stay you know, connected to the, the basic, simple human truths. And, mm. and I, I believe that that's um, when that is in place um, and maybe there's space or slowness enough in life, then, then those, you know, the bonds and these relationships and sort of the roles, um, I believe, kind of just organically fall into place. Mm. That's awesome. And I, I think maybe just my final question uh, for you is kind of a bit of a off the wall one, but what is the one question you wish you were asked on an interview like this so that you had a platform to say something about something? Um, I guess it would be about, I'm not sure what the question would be, but the, I'll just give you the answer. <laughs> the answer That's perfect. Would be, um, what, what becomes possible for a dad when he really takes the situation on is this opportunity to take what's one of the most challenging things in life, like to, to be, to, to start a family and still continue to do everything else in life successfully. It's, it's, it's an overwhelming challenge, but just like most challenges, if you approach it in a certain way, it's the most incredible growth opportunity, um, to, to really step into, to oneself as a man, to grow up, to, to mature, to be efficient and, and effective at work, to, to get your financial and professional world in order to Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Dan, thank you so much. And for for anyone listening, we'll have um, your fatherhood unlocked link below. But thank you. I think I think what you're doing is so needed and it's so powerful. And this it's a, it's a I think it has repercussions for for men and it has repercussions for women. It has repercussions for children and families. And there's just there's so there's uh, there's so much upside to really involving dads more and helping them to feel more involved and more part of the the parenting process so thank you very very much and um yeah really great to to have a chat